turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 46 this morning as our main text. I'll give some verses before it this morning uh, in introduction, but uh, we continue our awesome God series this morning, most especially necessary as we are in Christmas season. Amen. Have you yet, yet achieved your Christmas spirit? Are you into it? Thank you for your Christmas enthusiasm out there. Amen. How, how you doing with all the decor? You have all the, uh, all the, the, the decorations up? You, you have all the Christmas gifts bought already? You're not there yet? Okay. Yeah, I haven't started yet either. But I do have all my Christmas lights up. Wow. I've got my Christmas lights up. We've got uh, the staff Christmas party at our house. We've got the board Christmas party at our house. And so uh, we've been diligent uh, at, at work. And I bought one of those gizmos uh, from Walmart that uh, it's like a little gun that you take through your Christmas string of lights. You know, those Christmas string of lights that cost about, you know, maybe about uh, $3. And then you pay 20 bucks for that little gizmo. <laughs> so I thought, I, I've got a, I, I went into the garbage and pulled out all these strings of lights that I threw away, and, and I thought, I've got to pay for this gizmo now that uh, is supposed to figure out uh, how to get my uh, Christmas lights going. And uh, it took me an entire hour on the first string, and I got that going. It took me three hours on the second string. I'd gone through over a hundred light bulbs, and I was down to light bulb number 96. And I said, oh, God, oh, God, <laughs> don't let me get down to 100 and still don't work. At, at light 96, the whole thing came on. After four hours, four hours of my time, my time, four hours, I saved $6. <laughs> it's worth it. Got those lights going. But as I was doing it, it reminded me, Julie, of you and Jonathan one year as little kids. And honey, what goes around comes around. <laughs> I had worked so hard to get this string of lights working, gone bulb by bulb, and finally found out that one little bulb that wasn't working to make the rest of them work. And uh, it was tangled up, and I so, so I told Julie and Jonathan to go out on the driveway, our concrete driveway, and untangle that string of lights. I turned my back. I was working on the rest of the lights, and to my shock and horror, there was Julie and Jonathan with a neighborhood kid playing jump rope with the string of lights. Bulbs are breaking everywhere. What goes around comes around. <laughs> Christmas. Oh, I love Christmas. So many messages, sermons can be pre preached on Christmas, but I've never heard a Bible prophecy message on Christmas. And Christmas is all about the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. For example, 750 years before the birth of Christ, 
The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah also said in Isaiah 9 of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. Predicted is the lineage of Jesus Christ that he would come of the lineage of David. Micah, 500 years before the birth of Jesus, accurately predicted the place where Jesus would be birthed and born. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, also predicted and precisely prophesied Herod's slaughter of the baby boys, Jeremiah 31, or Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus' flight into Egypt, Hosea 11, verse 1. There are scores of detailed prophecies that were literally fulfilled with complete accuracy regarding the first coming of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you, check me out in this. There are no prophecies whatsoever alerting the world to the coming of Muhammad. Can't find any. The founder of Islam. There are no prophecies whatsoever predicting the coming of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, or Charles Russell, the founder of Jehovah Witnesses. There are no prophecies whatsoever of the first coming or any coming of Siddhartha Gautama, the founder of Buddhism, or any other founder of any world religion. Christ is unique alone because he is God, and there is none other. Hallelujah. I ask you, how is it possible that hundreds of years, in the case of the book of Psalms, a thousand years, before the fulfillment of a prophecy, that it can be fulfilled with literalness, with such accuracy, with such staggering precision? How is it that the prophets of the Bible could see the future as clearly as I see my hand in front of my face? Because man did not write the Bible. Well, man might have written it, but he didn't author it. Who's the author of the Bible? God. 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 Isaiah 46, verse 9, our main text this morning. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning and from ancient times. What is still to come? I say, my purpose will stand. And I will do all that I please. Loaded within this one verse are four revelations of our awesome God that I want you to get a hold of this Christmas season. This morning we continue with our series, Our Awesome God, as I preach the word, God of tomorrow. God of tomorrow. Are you worried about tomorrow? He's God of your tomorrows. Let's pray here this morning. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Grant us ears, Lord Jesus, to hear what the Spirit is saying to your church this morning and hearts to receive. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Our sovereign God. Note it. Write it down. God's ability to know the future. 
with total accuracy is an aspect of his attribute known as, big word, omniscience. What's omniscience? It's his infinite knowledge and wisdom. Not, God not only perfectly predicted Jesus' first coming, but the Bible gives us hundreds even more prophecies of Christ's second coming than his first coming. Most of these prophecies are indicators. They are end-time signs, letting a generation know that they are living in the very last days. There are ten, ten major end-time signs I want to bring to your attention this morning. I want you to ask yourself, as I go through these 10 end-time signs, are we the generation, the prophets, the apostles, Jesus was talking about? Very quickly here, sign number one, we are the generation which has witnessed the rebirth of Israel after nearly 2,000 years. Number two, we are the generation which has witnessed the recapture of Jerusalem under the sovereignty of Israel after more than 2,000 500 years. We are the generation experiencing unprecedented lawlessness, nightmarish crimes of violence, terrorism, and mass murder. It was just 10 days ago, Chattanooga, Tennessee bus driver yells out to a bunch of elementary school kids, are you ready to die? And does a kamikaze into a tree with a school bus killing I believe six school children and injuring scores of others. It's just this past week, Ohio State University, a crazed Somalia immigrant screaming Allah Akbar slashes scores of people in that tragic attack. And then we wonder, well, is it terrorism related? Duh. Duh. We are the generation witnessing the resurrection of Sodom and Gomorrah's perversion in our times. Immorality and perversion is on a scale in our generation thought impossible just a lifetime ago. Number five, we are the generation which has experienced history's worst famines, largely due to the population explosion. We are the generation witnessing new diseases and the first 100% fatal disease, AIDS. We are the generation experiencing church history's greatest revival and evangelism. You want to hear some good news in the midst of all the bad news? Hallelujah. Over 85,000 people are being born again every single day. More people are coming to Jesus Christ now than ever before since. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. We are witnessing primarily in Southeast Asia, in Africa, South America, unbelievable, phenomenal, unprecedented revivals of the Holy Spirit. In China, China is set to outpace the United States of America of having more Christians than what we have here in the United States of America. The underground church is growing so rapidly in communist China. 
The Bible says, God says, in the last days, in the last days, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I say we are that generation. Number nine, we are the first generation which could truly be called the Armageddon generation. The first generation with the technological capability of destroying ourselves. The first generation that can witness a nation be able to arm more than 200 million troops and keep 150 million back at home to defend the motherland. What nation am I talking about? And it's all happened in our lifetime. Jesus said in Matthew 24, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. You need to understand that all of Bible prophecy is written from the perspective of Israel, not the United States. And the fig tree always, always, always in the Bible is a symbol, a metaphor for Israel. So what Jesus is saying is, look at Israel. Look at Israel. Look at Israel. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. To the Christian, these prophecies, these end-time signs, they don't mean despair. To the Christian, these prophecies mean the greatest joy. For Jesus said in Luke 21, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Hallelujah, he's coming back. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Now, you need to understand, write it down, related to God's infinite knowledge of the future are his attributes of omnipresence and sovereignty. Omnipresence and sovereignty. What does God's omnipresence mean? It means that God can be everywhere at once. We're limited both in time and space. We are locked into time and space. We are three-dimensional creatures and creations. I can only be in one place at one time. According to Scripture and the revelation of God's omnipresence, He is everywhere in the universe all at once. We cannot conceive of that. But the psalmist said in Psalms 139, I read this for you last week, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. <laughs> if, I if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will, what? Guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. But God's omnipresence, the fact that God can be everywhere at once, goes way beyond the fact of his ability to be everywhere in the universe. The Bible reveals that God's everywhere at once ability also means that he's eternal. 
An eternal God exists out of time and space. He's not bound by time like we are. An eternal God not only can be everywhere at once in the universe, but he can be everywhere in time at once. That means God is in the past, God is in the present, and already God is in all of your tomorrows. He is the eternal God. That means that you, you won't be able to wrap your mind around this. That means that God has no beginning. God has no end. That means that God has always been, and he always will be. Are you with me in this? Are you tracking with me? I'm talking about the omnipresence of God, the everywhere at once ability of God. That's why when God answered Moses from the burning bush, God was not trying to be mystical. It was the best explanation possible of his presence, of his person. When Moses said, so who are you? What shall I tell the people who you are? Remember what God said? I am that I am. The eternal, self-existent God who needs no one or no thing to exist. He always has been. He always will be. The psalmist said in Psalms 90, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Just as he's everywhere in the universe, he's everywhere in time. Hey, preacher, you know, it's Sunday morning. I've worked a hard week. I, I didn't come for Theology 101. Oh, but this is exciting. The powerful truth here is that not only is our awesome God everywhere in the universe, not only is he everywhere in time, but our God is already in all of our tomorrows. <laughs> and he's already not just there, he's already in control of all of our tomorrows. He's sovereign. Sovereign means control. He reigns. He rules. He does and performs his will. God's already in all of your future and all of your tomorrows. He's ruling and he's reigning, moving everything to victory for every child of God. Do you hear that? Do you see that? I'm trying to stretch you here this morning. We need to look at Isaiah 46 again. Let's look at our main text again. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, which is still to come. I say my purpose will stand. And I will do all that I please. How can God do all that he pleases? Because he's God. And you're not and I'm not. Hallelujah. You can choose to live by your own plan for tomorrow. You can choose to go your own way. 
You can do what pleases you and makes you feel good. You can follow your own impulses, your own visions, your own goals, your own plans, or you can follow His. I don't know about you. I want to follow His. He's already in my tomorrows. He already knows what's going to fulfill me. He already knows what's going to make you and I happy. I don't know about you. I want to follow His plan. Uh, His plan is victory. His plan is blessing. His plan is favor. There it is. You see, He knows the results in advance. There were a lot of things that I wanted to be when I was 18 years of age. There were a lot of girls I wanted to marry. Thank God I submitted my life to his plan or I'd be the most miserable of people today. God knows in advance what will fulfill you, what will keep you, protect you, what will make you an overcomer to finish strong. So follow his plan. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Jesus said for the pagans, that means the worldly, the unbeliever, they run after all these things. Matthew 6 is all about food, drink, clothes, you know, those gachi, gucci, whatever they're called, purses. No, I put that in there. Those leopard shoes that you girls wear. Let's preach it, men. The pagans run after all those things. <laughs> no. no, that's pastor's paraphrase here. But Jesus is talking about clothes, the necessities of life in this chapter. And he says the unbelievers run after all those things. They get stressed out about all those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And all the women would say... But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And all the women would say, now here's my point, verse 34, having fun with you. Here it is. Therefore Jesus said, do not worry about what? Tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Honey, sir, ma'am, young person, according to God's attribute of omnipresence, the fact that God's already in the future allows me to preach to you and to say to you, don't get stressed out, don't fret about tomorrow, don't worry about tomorrow. God is already there. <laughs> He's already there. He's already there. And He's already ready to comfort you, protect you, heal you, move you into blessing, move you into victory, allow you to finish strong, allow you to walk through the gates of heaven crying glory. You see that? Hallelujah. God is already in my tomorrows. He's already in my future. I don't have to worry about one iota. You see, nothing in your life or my life catches God by surprise. You'll never see God all of a sudden his rocking chair of heaven go, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. Never. That means that when you're hit with a layoff, when you're hit with a bad diagnosis, I'm talking about the big C word, 
That means when the police are at your door to let you know that a family member's had an accident. That means that the one who said to you, I do, but is now saying, I don't, I won't, and I can't. That means when your whole world is falling apart, <laughs> your awesome father was never taken by surprise. He was prepared for that moment to move into your life, to protect you, to undergird you, and to carry you through. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How can he do that? He's God of tomorrow. He already knows the end results. Let him work in your life. He's moving you always, always, always towards victory, always towards blessing. In Matthew 6, Jesus said five times, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Five times he says it. So our word to you this morning is, don't worry about tomorrow. God's already there. Our immutable God. Our immutable God. You know, the, the one thing we can count on with Michigan weather, the one thing we can count on is what? Change. Change. I understand there's going to be some change this afternoon. Snow is coming. How many are excited about that? Oh, hindering spirits. We rebuke that. The one constant in life is change. If you don't believe me, when you got up this morning and looked in the mirror, were you a whole day younger or a whole day older? <laughs> change. Change. They say the one thing us men can look forward to in life is uh, uh, bunions, Baldness and bulges. <laughs> Change. By the way, you know, seniors, seniors are the wealthiest people around. You better watch out. We've got silver in our hair. We've got gold in our teeth and lead in our pants. You better get out of our way. Lead, follow, or get out of my way. <laughs> Change. Change. We're talking about change here this morning. Change. One couple have been married 40 years. And they thought, we're going to celebrate change. Their birthdays were very, very close together. They were both turning 60 within one month of one another. So they said, let's combine our birthdays. And they had the birthday cake and the candles lit. And she whispered to her husband, before we blow out the candles, let's make a wish. And just as they were ready to blow out the candles, kazoom, angel appears. And the angel says, I've been commissioned to grant you your fondest wish that you just thought about. What is your greatest wish, he turned to the wife. She said, as she looked romantically at her husband, she said, 
I would just love to have a round-the-world tour with my sweetheart husband that I've been married to for 40 years. Poof! Two round-the-world tickets all of a sudden appeared. The angel put it in her hand. She's dancing for joy. And the angel now turns to the husband and says, Sir, what is your greatest, your fondest wish? He looked at his old wife and he said, I'd like to be married to a woman 30 years younger than me. Poof! He was turned into 90 years of age. Watch what you wish for. <laughs> change. Change. I want to talk to you about change. Write it down 26, 26 centuries ago. God gave Daniel the 10th incredible prophetic sign. You thought I forgot it. Let's look at the 10th prophetic sign in detail. The 10th prophetic sign that we, we, turn back please, we need to consider that the end times would be marked, write it down, by accelerated change. Accelerated change. Daniel chapter 12 verse 4, but Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. What's the prophecy? Seal it up so that it will not be understood or comprehended. And it hasn't been until our generation. Until the end times when travel or transportation and education shall be vastly increased. It's one of the most incredible prophecies we have in the Bible. Think about it. Up until the last century, transportation and our cumulative human knowledge remained relatively unchanged. Go back 150 years, transportation, knowledge, pretty much remained unchanged from the times of Rome and the ancient Greeks, the times of Jesus. Yet in my grandpa, my grandfather's one lifetime, man moved from the horse and buggy to walking on the moon. In one time, man moved from the speed of horse and buggy to traveling faster than a 22 caliber rifle bullet as astronauts rocketed to the moon a quarter of a million miles away and then back again. In the last 150 years, there has been a veritable knowledge explosion. Take, for example, the phenomenal growth in artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, molecular biology. Putting men on the moon still stands as our greatest technological achievement. But did you realize, look on the screen, did you realize the chip inside a talking or a musical singing greeting card contains far more computing power than all the computers the Apollo astronauts used to get to the moon and back? I'm talking about change exponential accelerated change we are living in unprecedented times when it comes to cumulative human knowledge until 1900 human knowledge doubled approximately every century by the end of world war ii knowledge was doubling every 25 years today knowledge is doubling every 13 months 
all that we know, all of the cumulative global human knowledge is now doubling every 13 months. And according to IBM, once there is total connectivity, it's called the Internet of Things. It's called the Information Infrastructure. Once everything is connected to the Internet, think of this, IBM predicts that cumulative human knowledge will double every 12 hours. Our generation is confronting the greatest degree of accelerated change, exponential change. It's no longer linear. It's exponential. We are experiencing the greatest amount of change that any generation in all human history. I am convinced we are the generation that the prophecy given to Daniel is all about. Imagine the unprecedented change. Write it down. Coming to our world in the very near future. What I'm about to share with you are existing technologies that we already have. It is not science fiction. What I'm about to share with you will take place over the next 10 years, according to futurologists, those that studied the future. For instance, autonomous self-driving cars. I was driving down I-69 just recently, and I saw this apparatus on top of a car. I thought it was some crazy CB antenna. Man, am I outdated. I pulled alongside the car doing 70 miles an hour in I-69, and I looked in and I saw this. The guy wasn't even steering. The guy was sitting there, the only passenger in the car, reading a newspaper. That's right, Jesus. I was praying to Jesus, too. I thought, my God. <laughs> you might hit me. That thing drove as straight as an arrow. It did not deviate. It was self-driving. It was autonomous. What will that do to our society? Some of you don't understand what that will do to our society. That means there will be no ownership of vehicles in the future. That means that you will just call up after church. You will have already have scheduled your car to pick you up. You will not own a vehicle. You will not lease a vehicle. You will only pay for time and miles driven. That means that there won't be parking lots like there are today because cars will be constantly driving in the area, picking up people, dropping people off. That means that uh, kids won't have to go through road tests or driver's ed any longer. No, I tell you, I hear you. Man, I say Jesus right now when I see those kids out in the road. That means the insurance industry, major insurance companies will go belly up. Because the business model, the business model of car insurance, the business model of car insurance that most are dependent upon will no longer exist. It will autonomous self-driving cars, they say, will save over a million lives every year. Deaths will plummet. But for us who live in Detroit, it could be the death knell. Industries, companies such as Tesla, Apple, Google, Uber, all combining together 
to make what they consider outdated, obsolete Detroit Big Three go the way to the dodo bird. As cars become more of computers on wheels. Health. Unbelievable changes taking place in healthcare. Prosthetics. You lose an arm, you lose a hand. Not only can they reattach a prosthetic, it is now controlled by human thought, just as your arm and your hand is. We already have that. People, I'll tell you when to turn the slide. People, your go back one. People now have bionic eyes. People that were blind 30 years ago are being given new bionic eyes in order for them to see. There are now uh, an Italian, get a hold of this, an Italian neuroscientist has now developed the ability he believes to transplant human heads onto brand new bodies. Existing technology. Robotics. Artificial intelligence will be the next big wave. Over the next 10 years, you're going to see robots, they say, everywhere. Doing menial tasks. Doing menial work. And if you want a humanoid robot, something that looks human, they can even download the personality of a deceased loved one who has gone to the grave. And that humanoid robot will talk and act very similar to your loved one that you have lost. According to IBM, their, their IBM Watson computer is so smart that 90% of all lawyers will be gone in the future. That might be a good thing for some of you. IBM Watson in giving legal advice is far more accurate than human lawyers today. Only legal specialists will remain. If you think that I'm uh, way off the rocker, what happened when McDonald's workers wanted $15 an hour? What did McDonald's do? Have you, have you seen in the news what McDonald's is doing? When they wanted $15 per hour, McDonald's reacted with putting in kiosks. You will no longer order from a human being. You will now order through a kiosk and get your food that way. A kiosk is just basically another form of a robot. And get prepared for familiar institutions and items to become extinct. For instance, when was the last time you saw one of these? That shows you how quickly an industry... Like, take an industry like Kodak, camera, that had almost 200,000 employees, and overnight, digital cameras came in. Paper film was gone and out the door, and 200,000 employees didn't have a job. Same with Blockbuster Video. The post office, the check that you've made payable to Lakeside Assembly of God, uh, printed materials, that's why I asked you about your church handout, uh, the daily delivered newspaper is going to go the way of the milkman that used to deliver milk to your front door. Media, CDs, cable TV books, they're all dying a slow death. Everything is being downloaded. Brick and mortar department stores, grocery stores could go extinct, obsolete, the way of the dodo bird. Amazon is the wave of the future. By the way, Uber, Uber is just a software tool. How many cars does Uber own? Zero. Yet they're the largest taxi company in the world today.
Get ready, get ready for upheaval and change with companies and industries as we move into the future. 3D printers, do you know what a 3D printer is? 3D printers are now having the capability of being able to magically reproduce practically anything that you want. Just as a photocopier printer can take a document and give you a facsimile, a copy of that original document, we are now doing that with jewelry, doing that with shoes. Every major shoe company has 3D printers. They're printing shoes right now. They have a smartphone scanning app now that can scan your feet through your smartphone, and then you'll program a 3D printer from that uh, app on your smartphone and customize shoes to fit your feet perfectly. By 2027, everything that is made will be made with 3D printers. China has already built a six-story office building with complete materials from 3D printers. Change. Accelerated change. Exponential change. 70 to 80% of today's jobs will disappear over the next 20 years. But it's not just technological change. It's moral and spiritual change. Think about it. In our lifetime, we've seen not only the acceptance, but the promotion, the embracing of LGBT lifestyles. LGBT representing four different sexual identities, gender identities. In the future, I am told, there will be more than 50, 50 sexual identities, and I don't even want to go there to explain that. Just Google the things that people marry, and you'll be grossed out. Church of Cannabis, the first Church of Cannabis, the IRS, which ruled against many conservative organizations over the last eight years and would not give them tax-exempt status. The IRS just granted tax-exempt status to the first Church of Cannabis in Indianapolis, Indiana, where they preach and they practice pot. How the power of marijuana can heal the world. The Detroit Free Press, the Detroit Free Press just ran this article. It was headlined with this, and I'm putting our parents, our young parents on notice. Detroit Free Press, October the 20th, Satan Club could be coming to your kid's school. The National Satanic Headquarters in Salem, Massachusetts is launching a national movement to counter Christian clubs in public schools by opening up after-school Satan clubs in elementary grade schools. Local chapters have been applied for in Atlanta, Georgia, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, Salt Lake City, and Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, which has the largest and the oldest Satanist chapter in the United States. The Bible says that in the future, in the very last days, wrong will be made right, and right will be made wrong. There will be such an upheaval in society. 
Though we're living in a sea of exponential change, our hope, <laughs> our only hope uh, can be anchored in an immutable, unchanging God. He is the rock we can go to. He is the right anchor that holds. Uh, he is the one constant in a sea of change. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I try to stay on the cutting edge of what's being preached and taught in our church circles today. I am sad to report to you that there's a growing belief in many of our church circles today that God has had to adapt to our changing culture. That God, in order to keep up with our contemporary culture, has had to evolve. I'm, it's tragic that I have to report to you today that the thinking is this, that the people in ancient times did not know God like we know Him today. Today we know better. Today we say, well, God understands my, 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 my sexual lifestyle, my perverted lifestyle. Today uh, we say, well, God understands that I'm just living uh, uh, with her and not being married to her. God understands. So what was considered once wrong, what was considered once taboo, is now true. It's acceptable. It's embraced because God understands. God has evolved. My Bible and your Bible says in Malachi 3, verse 6, I am the Lord. I change not. I submit to you, I want you to know God doesn't need to evolve. God doesn't need to realize his full potential. God does not need to actualize himself as the New Agers teach. He does not need to do better. He cannot become more powerful. He cannot become more loving. He cannot become more holy. My God is perfect. He has always been and he always will be perfect. He doesn't need to change his character to accommodate our sinful world. Listen, man might want to change his laws. Man might want to change his morality. Man might want to change values like defining marriage and family. But we serve an unchanging God whose word, his word, his word is also unchanging. Jesus said it in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. My word remains true. Listen, to a spiritually bankrupt, to a morally corrupt society, and sad to say, even our churches today that are not preaching the unchanging word of God, his word to you is still, thou shall not. His word hasn't changed. We change, but God doesn't change. Even though America has changed the vocabulary of sin, I want you to know that God's vocabulary doesn't change. They might call it free love, an extramarital affair. God calls it fornication. God calls it adultery. They might call it freedom of expression. God calls it profanity. God calls it pornography. They might call it LGBT rights. God calls it sodomy, perversion, an abomination. They might call it free choice, a woman's right to choose an abortion. God God calls it murder. Don't worry. Don't worry. 
I said, don't worry or fret over the changing times. Don't worry about tomorrow. Honey, there's still power in God's unchanging word. There's still power in his promises. There's still power in the Holy Spirit. There's still power in the name of Jesus. There's still power, wonder-working power, in the precious blood of the Lamb. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Hallelujah, grant him praise and glory here this morning. Amen. Rest in the truth that no matter what happens, God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. I got a call yesterday while... I was studying, I got a call yesterday from one of our men in the church. The world had downgraded him, the world had denigrated him. He was being used and abused on his job. They even downgraded his uh, occupation, his vocational level of management. But he kept trusting God. And I kept sharing with him, God's going to be faithful. God is faithful. They told him that uh, basically that uh, he was not a fit and that he would be of no use to the company in his present capacity. He had been changed even to a different location. I said, keep trusting God. God's going to be faithful. A position, uh, a beautiful, wonderful position opened up. But then that folded he was discouraged. I said, God's got something better. God knows your tomorrows. God's already in your future. God, hallelujah. God is already there, and he wants to assist you, guide you, help you. He wants to bless you. That job that you thought you had, that job that was being offered to you, that was just God's token of letting you know that he's at work. He's a mighty chess player. Don't worry about tomorrow. He's already there. He called me yesterday. He said, Pastor, Pastor, I just got a position with the banking industry. This is so, so, so far beyond what I thought I was going to get at that other place of business. This is 25% more in pay. This is benefits. This is holidays. This is vacation. This is, my God. My God is able to do that which is exceedingly abundantly more than we can imagine, ask or think. And I whispered to him and I said, see, didn't your pastor tell you that was going to happen? Because not of my word, he is faithful. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy. How long? For a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Listen, history is littered with the rise and the fall of nations. Don't count on nations. Don't count on presidents or even president-elects. 
Watch where you put your faith and your confidence. They are mere human beings. They're fallible. They're fragile. They're frail. Even people that you thought were your best friends and your loved ones, they can let you down. But our God, <laughs> my Jesus will never bail out on you. He'll never go A-W-O-L. Even when times get tough, He's there. He's there. It's in those times, those tough times, that His presence is even more real. <laughs> it's when you're in the fiery furnace that He shows up. And you don't want to leave the furnace <laughs> because His presence is so real. You might say, you might say, but pastor, I'm sick. He says, I'm your healer. But pastor, I'm weak. I have no strength. He says, I am Jehovah, your almighty, omnipotent God. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. But pastor, I can't make my bills. I'm so poor. He says, I'm Jehovah Jireh, your great provider. My God shall supply all of your need in Christ Jesus. But I'm so depressed. I'm so discouraged. He says, I am the glory and the lifter of your head. Here, take my joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But pastor, I'm scared to death about tomorrow. I'm scared to death. He says, yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for I am there with you. I will not forsake you. I will never leave you. But preacher, I'm a sinner. He says, I'm your Savior. He's our all in all. He's our sufficiency. He is God. I am the Lord thy God, and I change not. Stand with me this morning. Stand with me this morning. You see his presence, his power, his promises are not based on your performance. I've let God down so many times. How about you? I've been unholy and he has been holy. I've let the Lord down. But here's the powerful truth. He's still faithful. Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle said this to Timothy, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. If there's one verse I want you to memorize as you leave here this morning, is that one. I'm not condoning sin. I'm not saying abuse the grace of God. But some of you this morning are in a desperate need for a miracle. You need an answer to prayer. And the enemy has been whispering in your ear, God can't move that mountain because of your past. God cannot bring you a miracle. God cannot bring you a healing because of what you have done. I declare it again. <laughs> My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. All other ground is sinking sand. But Jesus Christ and His righteousness.
God is not going to bless you because of your performance. God blesses you because He is faithful. The one certainty in an uncertain world is that He is faithful. Cindy has just come from the emergency. If there's anybody in this church, she brought her husband to emergency this morning. If there's anybody in this church that knows about the faithfulness of God, it's Cindy. You may be seated.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is faithful. Bow your heads with me this morning. He is faithful, more than faithful to his children, even when we have been faithless. Such is the promise and the power of his faithfulness. Has God been faithful to you in the past? Well, the God of tomorrow is an unchanging God. He'll be faithful to you tomorrow. But somehow, some way, old Slewfoot, the enemy, has whispered in your ear that you've been forgotten. You've been forsaken. Perhaps even you've come to believe that God is angry with you. God is withholding his best from you because he's displeased. I want you to know that that's a lie that comes from the pit of hell. Right now, at this moment, God is in the house. God is in this house. He's walking up and down these aisles. And our Lord is ready to do that which is <laughs> abundantly, unimaginably more than you can ask or think. He is here to touch, to heal. He's here to be faithful, faithful, faithful. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning. How many of you, you need an answer to prayer? You need a miracle. You need God to show up and move your mountain. And that hand that's lifted up right now represents your faith declaring that God is faithful. Would you lift up your hand right now if that's you? If that's you, if that's you, that's right, that's right, that's right. Hands are being lifted up all across this place. Thank you. Yes, yes, you're testifying to God's faithfulness. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As Cindy sings this morning, I'm going to invite you to come to these altars. The elders, the pastors, the deacons, the lay ministers will be here to minister to you. We're gonna anoint you with oil. And the one thing that you'll hear us pray over and over and over again is this, God is faithful. Stand with me right now. Let's sing as they come this morning. <laughs> 